As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. As a therapist, I encourage people and myself to look at the situation, how I'm feeling, what the emotion is connected to it, what thoughts I have about it, and what I can learn from it. That's the optimistical thing. Stranger Connections is the embodiment of Lisa David Olson's perspective of we're all just friends who just simply haven't met yet. It's an exploration of the weirdly wonderful side of life and a look at the single commonality we have with each other, our differences. Slip off your shoes, pour a cup of your favorite, and let's meet this week's Barrel of Quirks. Welcome to Stranger Connections, where I celebrate wonderfully weird people and their quirky stories. I am your curious beast and host, Lisa David Olson. I'm a speaker, a speaker trainer, and I can help guide you toward the TEDx stage if that's your jig, and I think you should. Today, I have a TEDx specialist. She landed, I think, her first TEDx um, this past year, and it is one to see. You have to see Overcoming the taboo of touch. Please welcome to Stranger Connections, Edie Weinstein. Thank you for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. I had to remember what our connection was. And then I looked on your Facebook page and said, oh, Ted, there we go. Isn't that funny Ted, that, Ted, you know, yeah. people will yeah. say, how do you find your guests? And I'm like, so many ways. It could, right. it, so many ways mm-hmm. because the fabulous people are, are just right there. All you have to do is just peek, you know, <laughs> and here yep, you are. Absolutely. And I love the description because I've always thought of myself as a quirky kid, you know, an out of the box thinker. Um, you know how people talk about someone being the black sheep of the family. I was the rainbow sheep of the family. A rainbow and sheep. I rainbow love sheep. Yep. Um, so when I, when I sing to my grandson, he's, he's three, Dean, and you know, the kid song, Baba Black Sheep, I say, we sing Baba Rainbow Sheep. <laughs> I like that. Why not? I yeah. love it. That's yeah. beautiful. And so your TEDx was really cool. The opening right away, you ask, you know, hey, who's been hugged today? I, I just, that made me stop and think, and I am lucky that I do get hugs. And I don't think that's the norm, especially making it through a pandemic. Nope. Yeah, that's been a challenge for a lot of people, myself included. I grew up in a very touchy-feely family, lots of hugs, um, lots of, you know, lots of love. Whenever our friends would come over, they, they'd 
receive hugs from my mom, you know, when she, you know, when she was home from work. Uh, so for me, it was just natural. I'm very affectionate with my friends. Now, some of my friends are not really huggy people, but they'll, they'll hug me. So I'm honored. And, and that's something too, that I never take for granted that people will allow me to hug them. And I was having a conversation with someone else that I was just interviewed by this past week. And she said something really profound. She said, oftentimes people will say, give me a hug. Like, you know, and, and I see, no, I always say, would you like, even with my grand, my grandson, would you like a hug? Can I offer you, a, you know, can I give you a hug rather than give, because it feels like we're taking something from someone when we say, give me a hug. And I don't know about when you were growing up, but children in my, you know, my generation, I might be a little bit older than you. Um, we're told, oh, go hug aunt so-and-so. And what if you didn't want to? That's a great yeah. thing that you're yeah. saying right now. I think that has gotten better. And I'm 57, so I <laughs> a little bit younger. Yeah, I think I I clearly remember. Oh, give so and so. Oh, go sit on his lap. Oh, go give him a hug. That's the same with Santa or Easter Bunny pictures. Mm-hmm. No, you yep. shouldn't ever force it. A friend mm-hmm. of mine just took her kid to the the Santa thing. You know, obviously around Christmas time, and the kid was not into it. They left. They did not force it for that Good. picture. Good. Good. I know. I celebrate yeah, and- that. Yep. So body sovereignty is huge and it really shapes the way that we look at affectionate touch. When children are told they don't have the right to say no, bad stuff can happen without the child being aware of it or without thinking that this is something doesn't feel quite right. And parents may do it with all good intentions, but I invite them to take a look at the languaging that they use. Even my grandson, who's very huggy and cuddly, I'll say, you know, before I leave, would you like a hug? And sometimes he'll say no. And I'll say, okay. And he'll do a high five because we have a touch menu in the family where I'll say, um, would you like a high five or fist bump or blow kisses? And he usually, you know, he'll always offer something. But almost inevitably, before I'm out the door, he'll come over and, and hug. And it's his choice and it's that's his, his choice. comfort yep. zone. And I always his that. choice. Yep. And, and I, I don't am feel a offended. Hugger. You know, I even hug my coworkers who are officers. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of them that are, you know, you do the side hug kind of buddy mm-hmm. hug. And I, there are days that that really, it matters. And there are people who want to hug you. Oh, I haven't seen you in forever. Come here. And they're wearing perfume and that will yep. ruin the rest of my day. So mm-hmm. although I'm okay with touch, if you're wearing perfume, don't do that to a person. Right. First, why are you wearing perfume? Just stay clean. But right. <laughs> see, I suffer migraines. So I have a real hard time with, with yeah. scent. And so if you hug me and you've got perfume on, you've just ruined my day. I probably have to go home and change. Oh, or cigarette smoke. You can't, you know, that's my, oh, my ah. luckily that's more rare now, but it's there. Right. 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 So, you know, touch is an essential nutrient. Human beings have skin hunger needs that I think is almost as important as food hunger. And there were studies that I remember from when I was in high school, college, uh, about babies in orphanages in Romania that didn't get enough nurturing touch and some of them died. You know, they got fed, they got their diapers changed, but my guess is they didn't get a lot of cuddling or being sung to or being rocked. And that, you know, human beings shrivel up and die, adults too, shrivel up and die a little bit inside when they don't get enough nurturing touch by consent. 
nurturing should be on the food pyramid. The food pyramid mm-hmm. is a lie anyway. We all know that. Yeah, but right, there should be right. the, the, the updated mm-hmm. pyramid of the day. Yeah. The day pyramid. Oh, absolutely. I also have to look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs again to see if I don't think touch is part of it, but it should be. <laughs> you know, yes. I got I gotta look at it again. Yes. <laughs> I think uh, that's great. So what is yeah. an optimistical? An optimistic. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the last few decades is actually even more than that, for as long as I can remember, um, I would get messages. Now, I'm not talking about psychotic voices. I'm a psychotherapist, so I know the difference between psychotic voices and the voice of spirit, God, universe, whatever you want to call it, guiding us. So in a dream or meditation, I forget which, the voice came to me and said, you're not just an optimist, you're an optimistic, O-P-T-I hyphen M-Y-S-T-I-C, who sees the world through the eyes of possibility. So my website is opti, O-P-T-I hyphen mystical, with a C-A-L on the end, dot com. So I, I, I try that. to look at things, even the most challenging situations as, okay, what's the possibility here? And it's not spirit. You've heard the term spiritual bypassing, where yes. people say, oh, don't worry about it. Just give it up to God. It'll be better. As a therapist, I encourage people and myself to look at the situation, how I'm feeling, what the emotion is connected to it, what thoughts I have about it, and what I can learn from it. So that's the optimistical thing. And a really cool story about that is um, somebody many years ago created a meme for me with that quote. And it was a picture of an elephant on a, a bird's nest with a top hat and it had, I forget what was on the back of it, a bird, maybe bird sitting in the bird's nest. And it made the rounds, went viral. And then one day, it was my birthday several years ago, um, I get an email from somebody saying, Julian Lennon, you know, son of John Lennon, um, posted it on his Facebook page. And I said, nah, no. And they said, go look, go look. So that helped. I'll send it to you. I'll send you the. Yes, you know, the please. Email. Yeah. So that's again, kind of cool. I'm not just an optimist. I'm an optimistic who sees the world through the eyes of possibility. So I encourage people to be optimistic themselves. And that was an actual voice that came to you. Yeah. And it's like a gender neutral kind of voice. Um, I don't like using for me. I don't like using the word psychic, but I say I'm intuitive. And it's a skill that I've developed over the years, as you know, over the last 40 years as a therapist that you call it spidey sense, you know, stuff. Um, so I've gotten several messages throughout my life that have been profound, profoundly life changing. So that was how does a person was- know if they're getting that voice or they're just maybe left their their headset on i mean how do you know when that voice comes in <laughs> well, i check there's no headset on um i don't have my phone no there's nothing on in the background um it's for me it's just a knowing um some of it is hearing and then sent you know, like uh, being clairaudient and then being um what's the word clairsentient i guess that i just feel it's just a gut feeling like i also call goosebumps barometer if somebody says something that resonates it's truth i get goosebumps and hmm. that was what, that was a goosebump moment. How can we tap into that and try and hear our own messages? By getting quiet. And that's hard for me because my monkey mind is chattering constantly. But one of the things I've noticed since the pandemic started is that there are times that I just sit and stare into space. Um, where I am right now is, is my office 
at home. And there's a window here to the left. People can't see me. There's a window to the left. There's French doors in front of me. And um, I have a little Buddha head in the yard. So I can sit for, I mean, if I had hours to spare, I could sit for hours and just gaze at that. And that quiets my mind. And it's challenging because at 64, I've been noticing memory blips, like, oh, what was I supposed to do? And then I sit quietly and say, oh yeah, that's it, that's it. Because when we, when we try to figure out, oh my God, what was I supposed to do? Ah, you know, like that. Then our brains get so cluttered that we can't make sense of anything. So that stillness and silence, for me at least, is what brings the messages on. And then there are times that I'll say, okay, what do you want me to know today? What are my marching orders for the day? Now, one of my favorite TV shows just completed its um, five seasons, I think, called New Amsterdam. It was a hospital show. Did you ever watch it? Mm-mm, no. Um, well, the tagline is, how can I help? The main character, um, Max, was the, the, um, um, the head of the hospital. And whenever there was a crisis, they say, how can I help? So I've, I've adopted that too and say, okay, universe, God, whatever, whoever you are, how can I help today? How can I be of benefit today? And so then the message always comes. You're kind of meditating and then you put that message out as you're kind of meditating that that's your thought going out is how can I help? And then you hopefully mm-hmm. receive a message. Right. And it isn't always in what people would consider a meditative state. It's in general, mm-hmm. you know, before my feet hit the floor in the morning. I go through that. I say a morning prayer and then I say, okay, what can I do to make a difference today? How can I, how can I do something? It's an intention. Yeah, it is. It is an intention. Instead of going, oh man, I think I left laundry in the washer. And right now any listeners going, Mm -hmm. oh man, did I leave laundry in the washer? (laughs) Yeah, I have. Yeah. Instead of doing that, when you, when we first wake up, why don't we set our intention of how can I, in myself, how can I make someone laugh today? How can I make mm-hmm. someone have joy, right. leave, leave right. laughter in my wake? Mm-hmm. I like that. Yep. I needed that yep. reminder today. Okay. I did. That's good. <laughs> my, pleasure. my pleasure. And in the world that we're living in now, um, there's so much pain and sadness and loss and fear. Right. And I succumb to it at times. So I do this other really cool ritual that I've been recommending to people. I do it in the shower. And the first round when I'm just getting wet, I'll say I let go of anger, fear, resentment. Um, it's one, It's got like a rhyme pattern, um, blame, shame, and pain, you know, and anything that I've been carrying from the past, um, ill health, belief in scare, whatever it is I want to let go of, goes down the drain. And then the second round, when I'm soaping up, I'll say, and I call in love, healing, bliss, blessings, goodness, kindness, caring, ease, flow, grace, miracles, magic, abundance, prosperity, love, whatever it is I want to call into my life. So by the time I'm out of the shower, I'm not just clean physically, but I feel cleansed emotionally. And then during the day, I don't get back in the shower, but if I feel like I've got ick, like that kind of feelings, I'll do it again. And I'll imagine being in the shower and washing it away. So it's a portable, it's a portable skill that anybody can use anywhere. I think I need soap on a rope to hang in my work <laughs> office for yeah. that visual of <laughs> shake yeah. off all the outside stuff. Oh yeah. man, visuals are important for me. And that was really helpful. Good. Well, now 
tell me about your book. You're a best-selling author as well as a TEDx speaker oh, and optimistic. Yeah, it's called The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. And what that book, where that book came from, I've been a writer for how long? Um, since I was a kid, I've loved to write, but I became a professional writer in 1988. My husband, who has since died, um, and I created a magazine called Visions, had to do with holistic health and wellness. And I was the, um, the person that did the interviews with the, what I call transformational movers and shakers. And I've wanted to write a book, but I thought, oh my God, it's going to take so much time. I don't have time to do it. So one of my friends had said, why don't you take, you know, make it a collection of stories, things that you've already written, blog posts, and make them into a book like Chicken Soup for the Soul. So in 2010, I started working on it because I was prompted by two people. One was a, a friend um, named Jim Donovan. Um, Jim has also died, but he was a, a best-selling author whose books were translated into a gazillion different languages. He was a motivational speaker. And he says, this book isn't doing anybody any good in your head. Write the damn book. Oh, Get it published. So I, I love did. that. Yeah. And then my mother, um, who was on hospice at the time, um, said, you need to finish this book so I can read it. And I said, you need to live a whole lot longer because it's not done anywhere near done. So what I had the blessing of was being with her. She lived, she and my father lived in Florida and he died two and a half years before she did. And um, I was able to go down to visit her seven times in the last six months of her life. And I would sit on the floor or on the couch. She'd have the, you know, the hospital bed set up in the living room and I would write. And I said, mom, you want to hear this chapter? So I would read it to her. And the last two chapters of the book um, were about her death and the aftermath. Oh. And that, so the book came out in September of 2011. Mm. And the other cool thing that was a part of it was an interview that I did with the Dalai Lama. Now that what? was another, yeah, yeah, you didn't know that. Um, yeah, in July of 2008. The way that came about was a um, what I call seed planting. You know, when you have an, and the TEDx talk was the same thing. You know, when you have an idea and you watch, you cultivate it, you watch it grow. And sometimes like this, it took 20 years for it to manifest. So because I'd interviewed the movers and shakers like Shirley MacLaine, Ram Dass, um, who else? Jack Canfield, Marianne Williamson, Shirley McLean. Did I say Shirley McLean? Yeah. Um, hold me a whole bunch of the metaphysical movers and shakers. I thought, I really want to interview the Dalai Lama. Now, I have wonderful yay-sayers in my life. Very few naysayers. And they all said, we know someday you'll do this. Of course you will. So I started visualizing what that would look like. I created vision boards with his picture on them. And somebody suggested, why don't you take a picture of yourself, you know, cut out a picture of yourself, put it next to his picture for proximity. Another friend said, why don't you write questions as if you're going to be doing the interview tomorrow? Um, so I did all of those things. Fast forward 2005, maybe. And somebody reaches out to me and says, his holiness is coming to New Brunswick Rutgers Stadium in you know, this year. Would you be willing to help us promote it? And I said, sure. And by the way, is he granting interviews? No, he's not. I said, okay, I'll do it anyway. So instead of interviewing him, I walked around the stadium with a little tape recorder and I interviewed people there about what he meant to them and why they were there that day. At the end of the event, they gave us all these postcards 
with his picture on it. So I taped it to the dashboard of my Jeep. Um, now, several cars later, I still have it. <laughs> it's not taped <laughs> to the dashboard, but it's, it's in, you know, in the front of the car, a little place where you put um, whatever stuff right there. So he, he was with me in the car. He was with me on the vision board. He was with me in my heart. Fast forward again, in early 2008, uh, my friend Greg Schultz, um, was, who's an American-born Buddhist, um, said he was the event producer. His Holiness was coming to Philadelphia. And he said, I can't promise, but we have an in. It's possible that you'll be able to do the interview. So the months went by and it was like the kids game. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. It's going to be happening soon, maybe. So in early July, I'm at a, an outdoor music festival, standing with two friends. One of them is a photographer. And the phone rings and it's Greg. And he says, are you sitting down? And I said, should I be? He said, absolutely. You got the interview. And by the way, he said, take off um, July 16th and 17th. You got the interview. And by the way, you're the only journalist in Philadelphia that he granted the interview to. It's an exclusive. Wow. I, went, I screamed into the phone. Yeah. My photographer friend snapped the picture. And then my heart was racing. He said, I'll get back to you tomorrow with the details. Breathe. And I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to breathe? You know, I was so excited. Quick so I think I, called my, I, yeah, I think I called my mother. My father had died a few months earlier. Mm. I think I called my mother to tell her. Yeah. So the next day I get a call from Greg and he said, you still have the interview, but it's not an exclusive. They want the Philadelphia Inquirer to interview, you know, to be able to interview. And I, you don't think I said, nah, if I can't have it all to myself, I don't want it. Like, um, whatever, and the cool yeah. thing is the person that was in the other person that was interviewing him was um, his name was David O'Reilly, who was a, um, a religion columnist for the Inquirer. And I've read his column for years. So the day before the, the interview, we're standing at a Buddhist temple in North Philadelphia. And we're, we're like these two conspiratorial little kids because we're looking at all the other journalists thinking they don't know that tomorrow at this time, we're going to be with his holiness. And he said, I got a new suit for the occasion. I said, I got a new dress for the occasion. <laughs> so the next day we went to the, um, uh, the Four Seasons Hotel, fancy schmancy hotel in Philadelphia, and we got to do the interview. Um, so if people want to read the interview, um, they, they can get the book, but also if they want to see it immediately, um, look up Edie Weinstein, Dalai Lama. And it was in, I think the article, I wrote several articles about it, but this one was um, how interviewing the Dalai Lama changed my life or something like that. I don't know. Um, but that was a, you know, a deeply spiritual, um, psychologically um, fulfilling bucket list item. Heck yeah. And I tell, yeah. And I tell people that story because I want them to understand that if you have a dream, almost nothing will stand in your way, even if it takes 20 years for it to manifest. Love and, you know, I'm thinking my dad had something to do with it because he always oh. had connections somewhere, you know, I'll take um, your help with trying to get Carol Burnett. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't <laughs> he just know pulled her. on her ear. Anybody. I that pulled on my ear. Right, Burnett, right. It's the yeah. ear tug. Okay. So you want to get her on the show? Uh, yeah. I wrote about yeah. her in my book. I almost named my oh. book. I was raised by Carol Burnett because it's because of her. I, I, found the path of humor saving okay. my life and and found okay. that and ended up owning the comedy troupe and running it for 20 years. And I, it's so similar to how her okay. show ran that I just, uh, I just want to tell her that yeah. I pretended she raised me. <laughs> it <Aww>. really helped. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll brainstorm with you. I, I, 
you know, there's the concept of six degrees of separation. Yeah. Um, in my life, there's one degree. I usually, I always know somebody. Right. So I'll, right. I'll see if I can. Come I up love with your story about the Dalai Lama and that you state it, even if it takes 20 years, don't give up. It doesn't mean, you know, cause you could have said, wow, I was in the auditorium and I was that close and it didn't happen. Oh, well, but no, you kept him as your co-pilot in your car yeah. <laughs> and you're like, he still is. This up. Yeah. yeah, he still that. is. And it was the same thing with the TEDx talk. Um, yeah. My inspiration for that was Elizabeth Gilbert. I saw mm. her talk in it was 2009. I think that's mm-hmm. when it came out and it was about creativity. So if you really want a, a kick-ass um, one, you know, for inspiration besides your, your, yours um, is look up um, Elizabeth Gilbert, something about the creative mute, creative genius or something like that. And as I was watching it, I said, I want what she's having. <laughs> and I've been, a, I've been a public speaker for 30 some years rarely get stage fright. Um, and I, and I thought, okay, I want to be on that, that big stage. So I started thinking, what would I want it to be about? And it's the, you know, becoming the taboo of touch came from, um, when I was in grad school, I wrote a paper called counseling practitioners views on using touch as a therapeutic modality. The idea being we were told don't touch your clients. You know, it's, um, for lots of reasons, you know, there are abuse survivors, trauma survivors, sexualizing of touch, um, boundaries, homophobia, you know, all of those things we were told not to. And then the paper was about the benefits, how with consent, it could be helpful. Right. So the pay again, paper was done in the 1980s. So fast forward and I keep watching other people's talks and thinking someday, 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 um, a friend of mine introduced me to her coach, Cesar Cervantes. Okay. He's amazing. He is amazing man with some really awful dad puns. I, I, I love him. Yep. So (laughs) in my first conversation with him, I thought I am going to invest time, money, and energy in working with this man. It was the goosebump factor. I thought, yep. Somebody, I don't know whether Cesar said it or somebody else said it, that about investing something like a thousand hours into preparing for, for a Ted talk because, and, and for anybody that doesn't know in that thousand hours, it ends up being a 10 minute talk. <laughs> yep. Well, seven, mine was 17, I think maximum 17 minutes. Now the thing about it for people that don't know, you got to memorize it, but not make it sound like you memorized it. Mm-hmm. No cue cards, no script, no teleprompter. Nope. It comes from the heart. It's delivery. So that I encourage anybody who wants to do this to give it, you know, put your heart and soul into it watch other people's talks, talk to Caesar, um, trust that if you, if you have the idea to do it, it's yours. Yes. Yes. Absolutely yours. And you can, you can attest to this. How many, have you, how many have you done? Two. You just do the, two. Okay. You can attest to what it feels like to be standing in front of a receptive audience who wants to hear your message, your exactly. idea worth spreading. Exactly. And, and it just, and the people that you meet who are all sharing the stage with you become family of choice. Um, I did mine on October 1st and I'm still in touch with some of the people that I did the talk. My, oh, you, know, you, you probably have friends for life. Yeah, yep. I think so. Yep. Yep. And the well, now speaking of stories and speaking of stories and fun and silly and, and looking forward to things I need yep. to know. Do you have a dare or a prank story? One that happened to you or one that you did to someone else? Right. Okay. Um, when I was 16 years old, 
my best friend, Barb, and her mother, Stella, took me out shopping. We went to, to a local mall. And um, there was nothing unusual about that. It was on a Saturday. I, was, I think we probably started Saturday morning. And Barb and her mother loved to shop. Um, it wasn't just retail therapy. It was their, their mom and daughter bonding activity. This sounds so, like a kid's book. Barb and Stella love to shop. <laughs> I should tell her about that. Yeah, Barb's <laughs> mom has, has since passed. And um, Barb and I, were, we met um, when we were 14 on the bench of swim, swim meet. We sw- swam on different teams together is the way she describes it. I don't remember the initial conversation. I don't remember how we you know, became friends, but it was just one of those meant to be friendships. So my parents thought of her as their third daughter. Um, so anyway, Barbin and Stella took us out shopping and we were there three or four hours. And I said, I'm really getting tired. Can we go home now? No, no, no. We have more to do. So they, we went to a second mall and we were out eight hours and, um, and you know, her mom looked at her watch. Okay. We can go home. We can take you home now. So when I got home, I walked in the door and it was six sweet 16 surprise birthday party. And everybody jumped at me out, surprise. And they kept me out for eight hours while my mother prepared for my, my mother and sister and father prepared for my birthday party. Um, That's great. So, um, so now when Barb and I go shopping, in fact, she helped me pick out that the outfit that I wore for the TED talk. Um, and I said, we're not going, we're not going to be out for eight hours, are we? Said, no, 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 it's okay. <clears throat> but it was a wonderful surprise. And I didn't suspect a thing. No, but you Nothing. had to have been exhausted by that. Point. Oh, I was. <laughs> um, and people parked, we lived in a, a suburban development, Willingboro, New Jersey. So, you know, people parked way down the street. So I wasn't suspicious, you know, yeah. seeing cars in front of the house. So. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> but it was story. fun. And I still remind her. Yeah, I still remind her of that. You had the sweetest of sweet 16s. I did. I did. That is so amazing. Oh, I am just so thrilled to have finally connected with you, Edie Thank Weinstein. You. This has been a joy. And tell people how they can find you. I know you had I, your optimistical website. website Go ahead again. Right. O-P-T-I hyphen M-Y-S. Myst- I-C-A-L. Mystical. Com. I'm on Facebook, E-D-I-E-W-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm on LinkedIn, um, same thing, same name. And I encourage people, oh, also real quick, um, I'm part of a, a co-created Facebook group called Bucks County Kind um, with my friend, Lisa Petron. We created a Facebook book, Facebook blah, blah, page <laughs> that encourages people to do acts of kindness. So if people want to join the group for where, from wherever you are in the world, Look up Bucks County Kind. That is really cool. I love anything positive. And that's why um, I also have a group, and I don't know if you're part of it, but it's counterclockwise and it's all humor. It's all good, clean, fun. And none, no news, no politics, no bashing, no body shaming. It's all just silly memes that we borrow and comment to each other and just encourage each other as well. So I love that we have that in common. Thank you. Counterclockwise. I have to remember that. Yes, please join. It's just too fun. And we will send people to yours to learn more about acts of kindness. I love positivity. We thank you. can't get thank enough you, of that. Thank you. thank you. And if you, you know, and people can check out the, um, the TEDx talk um, called Overcoming the Taboo of Touch. It's on YouTube. 
So it is a great one. You, you grab people right from the opening and I really Thank appreciate you. all that. Literally, you the world. literally. And there's a sing along at the end. <laughs> yes. Don't miss the sing along. Everybody can do that. So yes, oh, I am honored to have spent time with you and had you Thank on the you. show today, Edie Weinstein. And remember that we can only be strangers once. And I invite you to stay weird. Some of us are just strange. <laughs> <laughs> Count me in. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> This has been Stranger Connections with Lisa David Olson. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.